Amen. If you would turn in uh, your Bibles to the book of Daniel. We've been uh, going through the book of Daniel for the last month and a half or so, and uh, this will be uh, the last sermon in Daniel. But I encourage you to, in your devotions, to, to continue to read it. There, there's many stories that we didn't cover, and um, it's amazing how even back in the book of Daniel, so many things points to Christ. So Daniel 9, we're going to be starting at verse 1. Daniel 9, starting at verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Hazarias, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandment. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants and the prophets who spoke in your name to your kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of their treachery they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against you. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against to us, that he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written to the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all, his, all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a, a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O, God, o our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, 
And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Billy Graham was doing a crusade in Shea Stadium in New York. And apparently the, the planes from LaGuardia Airport flew over the stadium, dozens by the hour. On the opening night of the training of the counselors, they often do that, counselors who will um, help the people who give their lives to the Lord and, and, and lead them to Jesus. Um, Billy Graham was teaching from the, the podium um, and, and, and showing the counselors what needed to be said and what needed to be covered. But the noise of the airplanes started to disturb him. It was so loud because one after another seemed to come right over. And so finally he paused and glanced up and quietly said, we'll have to do something about this noise. This just won't do. And so we bowed his head and he said a simple prayer to the effect, Lord, we ask you to shift the wind and send these planes in another direction. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Counselors, they were pretty shocked to hear Billy Graham pray like this. And they didn't really know what to expect. But God answered his prayer. The morning newspaper reported that the winds had changed during the night and the airplanes over the stadium had to be routed another way. So for several days thereafter, thousands of people came to Christ under Graham's anointed preaching. And at the end of the crusade, the winds returned to normal. And the airplanes returned to their normal flight patterns over the stadium. The power of prayer. Sometimes we, we don't think much about it. We don't spend the time in prayer like we should, but when you realize the gift that we have received in Jesus, that the way to the Father has been opened through the Holy Spirit, and so we need to boldly come before the Lord's throne, knowing that our God will answer our prayers when they're according to his will. And when we don't ask, we don't receive. God has so much that he wants to give his people. If only we will come before him in faith. If we'll come before him even the way that we see Daniel repeatedly coming before the Lord in his time of prayer. And so as we discovered last time, Daniel, he is a man of prayer. He chose lions and even possible death rather than not pray to his Lord. And we saw last week how God rescued him from the lion's den in such a, a miraculous way. As chapter 9 begins, Daniel, who is now in his late 80s, is reading from the book of Jeremiah and discovers a prophecy about Israel's current predicament. And uh, we don't know exactly where he was reading, but I think we have a pretty good idea. Listen to Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Clearly, Daniel is a student of the word. And so as he studies Jeremiah, he does the math, and he realizes that around 67 years have passed since they've been in captivity, and that God's punishment was uh, coming to an end. But there's a problem. The problem was Israel had gotten way too comfortable living in Babylon. In fact, they started to live like the Babylonians and adopt their customs, even their gods. Listen to Daniel's own words in verse 13. Just as it was written in the book of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord, our God, by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. See, it's not like parole where 70 years are over and boop, you're automatically released and you can go home. That was part of it. But the other part was there also had to be a change of heart. God's people had to again begin to turn to the Lord and depend on him. They needed to confess their sins. They needed to recognize their sin and how they had fallen short of what God expected of them. Listen to Deuteronomy 4:27. The Lord will scatter you among the people, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. And then verse 29. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Again, that same promise. Deuteronomy 32. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. It's not a matter of just spending 40 years in captivity and, and then they were done, but there had to be a change of heart. That was the whole purpose of them going into captivity, that they would again turn to the Lord. And since Daniel doesn't see this happening, he begins to pray. He begins to pray on behalf of Israel. I think you could say he's standing in the gap. See, the people of Israel, they had forgotten their first love. The stench of sin was everywhere around them and they couldn't smell it. And some of you know what I'm talking about. I, I can remember when we went to Dort College one time, Arla and I, and uh, I, I forget what the occasion was. It was some kind of apparent weekend. Um, but apparently they, they sprayed the fields with uh, hog manure a couple days before we came. I guess to welcome us. You wouldn't believe the smell, the stench. And I remember being in a restaurant and talking to some old guy that was next to us. I'm like, wow, does that stink, doesn't it? And he looked at me with kind of a questioning look in his eye, and he goes, what stinks? <laughs> Iowans cannot smell. That's what we concluded. They can't smell anything. No, actually, they can, but they're so used to that smell because it's just something that they live with that it no longer bothers them. They, they, they don't notice it anymore. And that's really what was going on with Israel. They, there was sin all around them. There was sin in their lives, and yet they didn't recognize it. They couldn't even smell the stench of it. 
And so Daniel prays that their eyes might be opened. And so Daniel stands in the gap between God and the people. And he prays that revival will come. That God will take their hearts of stone and turn it, turn them into hearts of flesh, hearts that beat for God. And so for the time we have left, let's look specifically at Daniel's prayer or some of the, the components of it. And I think the first thing that I'd like to point out to you is how he lets Scripture guide his prayer. How he lets Scripture guide his prayer. Clearly, Daniel's prayer was motivated by what he had read in Scripture, by the promises that God had given him. And as Daniel reads Jeremiah and Deuteronomy and maybe some other passages, it guides him as he prays. Because now he knows what's, what to pray for. And I think this is important. Because without God's prayer filling our prayers and guiding our prayers, our prayers can often become very selfish. We just want to pray about ourselves, our needs, our wants, our desires. And we forget that God already knows all those things. We're not telling him anything new. And so we have to pray according to God's will. And we have to pray the heart of God. The things that God is passionate about, that's what we need to pray for. And the things that he hates, we need to hate that. That's what Jesus taught us. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. If your word abides, if my word abides in you, God says, or in other words, if it saturates your mind, if it saturates your heart and just completely fills you. When my word is all that you can think, when it becomes like, you know, when you, get, you hear an advertising jingle and you can't get it out of your head, that's how God's word should be for each of us. We just can't get it out of our heads, the things that we read, and it just keeps coming back and coming back. And when that begins to happen, when we have that kind of dependence on the word, that's when lives really begin to change. That's when our prayers become effective. Second, pray with humility. The story is told of two ducks and a frog who lived happily together in a pond. Well, as summer went on, the pond started to dry up, and while the ducks could easily move to another pond, not, not the frog. And so the frog came up with a brilliant plan. He says to the ducks, you hold two sticks in your, in your beaks, and, and I'm going to grab hold of that stick and let's fly to the next pond where there's water. And so that's what they did. And as they're flying, a farmer was looking up and he saw and he goes, wow, I never saw anything like that before. I wonder who thought of that. And the frog says, I did. He was hanging on with his mouth. Pride goeth before the fall, right? That's the moral of that little story. And it can be the same way with us. Daniel in our story he takes off his richly ornamental garments, his robe, his jewelry, and we're told he puts on sackcloth and, and burlap, puts ashes on his head, and he fasts from food. All these things are, are a sign of, of humility. It's a sign of our needing God in our lives and knowing that we can't do it on our own. 
Ashes often came from the, the altar, from the sacrifices. And, and it's a desire that God would, would use us and work through us. That we would be dependent on God. That we would be desperate for God in every way. See, Daniel knew that his prayer in itself was nothing. Only when he was praying to God, when he was unleashing God's power, when he was praying according to God's will, when he humbled himself before the Lord, that's when God would listen and answer. Third, Daniel prays passionately. Again, verse 3. says, Daniel pleaded with the Lord. Or you could translate that as he wrestled with the Lord in prayer. Kind of like Jacob did with the angel in Genesis 32. Verse 4 says, Daniel prayed to the Lord his God. The Hebrew word there is in the, imper- is in the imperative and, and it tells us of the intensity in which Daniel prayed. The passion that filled him as he prayed. The desire. There was urgency behind what he did. And we need to ask ourselves, is that how we pray? With that same urgency. And it gets back to the question I asked last week. Really calls into question, what do we believe about prayer? Do you firmly believe that our prayer moves the hand of God, that God has allowed that to happen? Or would you say that our prayer doesn't accomplish anything? Because if you don't believe in prayer, then why would you spend time doing it? But if this is God's will, this is what God has chosen, a way to release his power, then we need to be faithful in this. Ten times Daniel says something like, O Lord, or O my God. The word O is actually an untranslatable word. And it really represents a groan. The kind of groan that I think Romans 8.26 says the Holy Spirit takes and brings before God. Those groans that come out of us, oh, you know, we're just, it's so deep. Sometimes we can't even put words to it. Holy Spirit puts words to those those words or those groans and brings them before Jesus, Jesus brings them before the Father. This is the passion that filled Daniel's prayers. And this is the passion that I hope characterizes our prayers as well. Fourth, we must confess our sins. You know, we can have such a flippant attitude towards sin. We like to minimize our sin. We Call it nice-sounding words. Words like um, a blunder, a mistake, a shortcoming, um, a goof. I mean, you, you fill in the blank. Anything but call it what it really is. A sin against God. Something that God detests. Something that God hates. We like to come up with excuses for it. But that's not what Daniel does. Listen to the words he uses. He calls their sin wickedness, their shame, rebellion, disobedience, transgressions, and even iniquity. He even uses the word treachery, that our sin is treachery against God. Can you put it any stronger than that? That's how much God hates our sin. And when we willfully sin against God, it's not some passive thing that we do, but Clearly, it's treachery against God. It's willfully breaking our covenant relationship with him. 
Proverbs 28, 13 says this, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them, you find mercy. Just like we sang before. Listen to, again to Daniel's confession in verse 11. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away and refused to obey you. He's not using any excuses, is he? But he's confessing not only his sins, but the sins of the people. There's no excuse. See, without confession, there can be no fellowship with God. And that's why every Sunday when we come together, we have that time of confession. We're reminded in God's word of how we've been forgiven. Our sins have been taken away. And then we rejoice and go before the Lord in our time of prayer, knowing that now the way is open because of Jesus. We have to keep reminding ourselves of that. We have to keep confessing our sins because it continues to raise its ugly head in our lives, raises its head up in our church. And we have to confess it before the Lord. Fifth, Daniel was motivated by God's glory. Notice verse 17. Daniel says that his prayer is for God's sake. In Daniel's prayer, he makes reference to some to God's name some 19 different times, and he only uses man's name 11 times. Clearly, his focus is on the Lord and what our sin does to God. Oh, it's an affront to his holiness, his justice, his righteousness. Clearly, Daniel's prayer here is not self-seeking. We have no record that Daniel ever went back to the Holy Land. So he's not praying for himself. He's lived his life. But what he is doing, he's praying for the younger generation, the generation that would return home. And as he prayed for Israel's release from their sins and captivity, he seeks God's glory. Listen to verses 18 and 19. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, for your glory, is, is what he's saying there. O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. And then six, we need to expect an answer. What did we see last time when we looked at Psalm 18? God ripped a ripped open the heavens, and he came down and answered David's prayer. And such a, a beautiful imagery there of, of how he does hear us. He comes to our rescue. And he does this every time. And while sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no, sometimes he says, you got to wait. Yet no matter how he answers our prayers, we know that he will be there for us. We don't have to face those things alone. Before Daniel could even say amen, the answer was there. We didn't read it, but verses 20 through 23 says that before Daniel was done praying, God sent Gabriel with an answer to his prayer. Isaiah 65, 24 gives us this amazing promise. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. That's how God answers Daniel's prayer. And so we've got to ask ourselves, 
We have to apply this to ourselves and, and what difference is this going to make in our lives? How do we become people of prayer? Let me challenge you with just a couple things. First, and I've said this before, a prayerless Christian is really a contradiction in terms, isn't it? A prayerless Christian is really a contradiction in terms. If we're a believer, we're going to pray. If you're a child of God, you're going to spend time talking to your Father in heaven. If you don't, it's like saying it's freezing hot or boiling cold. It's a contradiction. Christians pray. Second, prayer is a language of love affair, our love affair with God. Jeremiah 31.3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And so will you in turn love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind? You know, if you're madly in love with somebody, you're going to want to talk to them. You're going to want to spend time together with them. You're going to want to be in each other's presence. Sometimes when a couple's been together a long time, they they can read each other's minds. Even before something is said, they, they already know what the other person is thinking. I know my wife and I, we've had that as well. I'm sure you have too. That should be how it is with us and our Father in heaven. We should have the mind of Christ. His thoughts should be our thoughts. And even before, even before he speaks, we should know what his will is, what his desire is, because we have his word. A farmer who had grown up in the country and his friend were walking in downtown New York, right near Times Square. It was during lunch hour, and there was tons of people everywhere. Cars were honking their horns, taxi cabs were squealing, sirens were wailing. There's just a lot of noise, the kind of noise you hear when you're in the city. Suddenly the farmer who had come to visit says, I I hear a cricket. And his friend said, you're crazy. You can't hear a cricket. I can only hear cars and horns and people talking and noise. He goes, no, I, I hear a cricket. And so the farmer listened carefully for a moment, and then he walked across the street to where there was this big planter, some shrubs growing in it, and he moved aside a little bit of the bark, and there was a little cricket. His friend says, that's incredible. He goes, you must have superhuman ears. No, said the farmer. My ears are no different than yours. It, it, just, it depends on what you're used to listening to, what you're focused on. Well, that can't be, his friend said. I could never hear a cricket and all that noise. And the farmer says, it just depends on what you're listening for. And so he says, here, let me show you. And so he reached into his pocket and he took out a handful of coins that he had and he just slowly dropped them onto the sidewalk. And despite all that noise, within a 15-foot radius, everyone stopped and turned and looked to see where the sound of that money was coming from, those coins hitting the the pavement. See what I mean, said the farmer? It depends what you're used to listening for. So let me ask you, what's important to you? What are you listening for? Are you listening for God's voice? 
Are you desiring that with all your heart? Do you long to hear him speak each day to you in prayer? Or have you forgotten what his voice even sounds like? Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Be still. God is speaking, but sometimes we don't quiet ourselves enough to listen. It's so easy to just pray and jump up and boom, there you go. Go off to work. Go off, start doing the chores around the house, whatever it might be. Instead of sitting there for a few moments and allowing God to speak. And it's amazing. He does speak. Sometimes suddenly you'll be thinking about somebody. You'll feel guilty about something. You're, suddenly you're, you're, he tells you something you need to do. God does speak if we're willing to listen. And so in response to your prayers, in response to our church's prayers, what does God have planned for us? For Daniel, God sent Gabriel with an answer. What is, going to, what is God going to do for us as we faithfully seek his face? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, may this describe each one of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for the gift of prayer. And what a gift it is, Lord to actually come before your throne. Father, we thank you for Daniel's willingness to stand in the gap on behalf of the people of Israel. And we pray that we also might stand on the, in the gap on behalf of our marriages, our families, our church, our community, our country, our world. Father, may we not doubt as we pray, but may we trust, may we have the, the faith of a mustard seed that believes that anything is, is possible for you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Sweet.